Welcome to the discussion, Modernizing Mission Security, sponsored by Okta. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. Welcome to the discussion. My guests today are Sean Frazier, the Federal Chief Security Officer at Okta, and Tom Clancy, the former Chief of Identity Solutions in the Office of the Department of Defense's Chief Information Officer for the Office of Secretary of Defense. Sean, Tom, welcome to the discussion today. Thanks, Jason. Thank great to be here. Yeah, thank you, Jason. It's great. Let me set just a little bit of context for our discussion. We've been talking about identity, credential, and access management for more than two decades. The Defense Department, particularly, has been ahead of most other agencies for much of the last 20 years. But the need to modernize their technology, their processes, and how they use the identity and access management is clear. This is why DOD released the new ICAM strategy about a year ago that outlines seven strategic goals, including taking a data-centric approach, deploying shared services, and enabling consistent monitoring and logging to support analytics. But the real goal here is to create a digital identity for all 8 million of DOD's, we'll call them customers, service members, their families, contractors, civilian employees. Now, part of the long-term goal is to create a continuous identity as a service using strong authentication tools on platforms, whether it's an iPhone or an Android device or many other types of devices. It's clear there is momentum to take advantage of the convenience, the security, the flexibility of identity management tools and capabilities. So how can DOD and really all agencies do just that? Well, that's where my guests come in. Once again, my guests are Sean Frazier, the Federal Chief Security Officer at Okta, and Tom Clancy, the former Chief of Identity Solutions in the Office of the Defense Department's CIO in the Office of the Secretary of Defense. Tom, let me start with you on this question because I, th I think this strategy and everything that DOD has been working on for the last 20 years, you've played a pretty big role in it. So where are we today and where does DOD really need to go when it comes to identity and access management? Well, I, th I think, uh, you know, Jason, you, you're, you're kind of carved out the, the landscape. It's, it really starts with the national defense strategy. Um, and the national defense strategy had uh, three lines of effort. One was uh, increasing lethality, uh, which it relies upon two things. You've got you've to really unleash the power of your data and information to achieve military advantage. And then you need to provide assurance of that information. Um, so that it gets to where it's supposed to go and it doesn't go where you don't want it to go. Uh, also, uh, the, the second line of effort was uh, strengthening uh, our partnerships with allies and, and the interagency and, and other uh, folks who we work with. Uh, you know, DOD doesn't do anything alone anymore. Um, and also uh, the, th the third line of effort, which is uh, significant is, you know, reforming the department. You know, where can we save money? How do we shift resources uh, to focus on, on lethality uh, with investment because we can find savings elsewhere. And so all of those things is really enabling that is, is the platform for the digital modernization strategy of which ICAM is a, is a key part. You know, getting after cloud, data, uh, AI, the C3, the, um, the warfighting network, as well as, you know, cyber uh, in and around all of those things. One of the things you bring up is this idea of enabling the digital modernization. And, and it's interesting that when you look at what DOD has done over the last year or so, they've talked about an ICAM strategy, they have a digital modernization strategy, there's been a big move to the cloud. But for me, and, and you can obviously disagree because you're much closer than I was, ICAM underpins all of that. Without good identity management, none of that matters. So, so where do they need to go if they have this defense strategy, they have big, broad goals, but how do they kind of 
get to that digital modernization piece? Yeah, I, I think that's a great question. And, you know, implementing that strategy is an important part of, uh, of the, um, you know, the story ahead. Uh, following the, the strategy, uh, the department also re uh, released a uh, reference design for identity credential access management that really provides the recipes, the cookbook uh, for how to go about this. And, you know, that document was, was uh, fiercely coordinated with all those relying parties, uh, you know, the AI folks, the cloud folks, uh, the mission partner environment folks, how, you know, how do we get all of those things uh, those things that we went into ICAM with expectations, how do we make sure that they translate into a sufficient service uh, set uh, to enable all those things? Sean, jump in here and, and let's talk a little bit about that, that challenge of enabling all of those things, as, as Tom mentioned. What are you seeing, whether it's within DOD or more broadly across the government? So I think it's important. I'm kind of a little bit of a technology history buff. So I like to think of things in context of what came before and learn from that and kind of move forward. And I, I think of, you know, the last time we had kind of digital modernization and transformation, and that's really where the CAC came from. So you think about the PKI infrastructure that was laid down, because again, the problem set was still the same. People or things had to log in and request access to something. And at the time, the technology that was available to us, you know, and, and we look back on it now, we think, well, well it's pretty cumbersome and, and pretty brittle. But at the time, it was very elegant and it was very kind of forward thinking in that we were actually going to provide an identity and access management infrastructure that would improve identity, get, grant access to things. And again, just like today, it was all about the data and getting access to that data. So what I see this is I see this as the next generation of, of kind of digitization, modernization around access and how, how ICANN plays an important role for that. And I think the, the difference now is the threat landscape, right? The digital threat landscape has changed. So back then we didn't have nation states and attackers and people hacking us nonstop 24 seven. Today we have that problem. So we're having to deal with not only do we, do we provide capability and access to stuff, but we have to provide it in a secure way and a consistently secure way to keep the bad guys out and the good guys coming in. And by the way, now we have the cloud. So we're all living in the same network now. Before we had these, these kind of enclaves and these separate networks and people would log into them and they were air gapped and people could only get physical access if they were physically there. We live in a whole different world now. We live in an inter interconnected world. We're all connected to the same network. We are, and that has to be part of the calculus when we think about the protection landscape and what we have to provide to protect. So that's why things like, like zero trust security and multi-factor authentication and, and continuous um, um, risk evaluance for authentication are super important because they have to be vigilant. They have to happen almost in real time, all the time. We don't have the option to let down our guard at any point. So that has really enabled and kind of accelerated this, this whole concept of authenticating to get access to things. And it's why zero trust has become so important. Zero trust has been around for a while, but it really is the, the thing that meets the need of today, this whole cloudification of the world. And Sean, if I, if I might uh, pile on it, you know, that's a great point. And, and it, it, it did start with uh, the CAC and, and you know, the federal, uh, the PIV, uh, sort of that hardware root of trust, very high assurance, uh, very convenient, uh, but I think, you know, when we look at enabling these new architectures and these capabilities that are going to get us to that military advantage, we need to figure out how to expand and extend those capabilities, you know, keeping the same high level of assurance in the face of that, uh, you know, near peer cyber adversary and, and doing that and, and sort of pivoting to sort of strong identity providers that can federate identity, be interoperable. 
uh, and carry forward this broader ecosystem of high quality, high assurance authenticators. You know, if we get that wrong, we can throw out the great assurance level we have with the CAC that with, you know, with the background investigation approving the, that, that chip uh, with a private key that's well protected. Those are really fundamental parts. As we build that out, we want to be very careful to do so. And I, I think, you know, you touched on uh, the other important part, I would say, uh, in, in, in addition to, you know, expanding the authentication capability set, you know, we want to really start getting into what are those access policies that we have? Who are the authorized users of these important systems and data? And then how do we, as an, as an enterprise, bring that interoperability and that sort of data centricity uh, to uh, the attributes of the users and then these other elements of the zero trust ecosystem. I want to go back to something that Sean said. Sean, can I can I pick on you just for uh, uh, 30 seconds? Is that okay? Always, always. All right. So you said earlier that back when the CAC came into being, it was, it was you know, elegant and forward thinking and I don't think anyone would agree, but now we have a different landscape. 24 seven hackers need to provide capabilities and access in a more secure way. One would argue that that was a problem in 2000 in 1999. That's why DOD went toward a smart identity card. To me, what has changed, and, and maybe you could weigh in on this, is not necessarily the threat landscape. I mean, yes, it's worse, yes, but it's the, 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 the decentralized nature of the way networks are designed today or way people access networks. And I think that to me, and, and again, I appreciate the fact you're nodding your head, I'm, I'm right, uh, or I'm, I'm on the right track at least. Um, uh, the, the fact that uh, that's what's changed and that's why it's you know, easier is maybe not the right word, but, but there's, there's a bigger opening for hackers. No, I completely agree. It's, it's um, and, and again, the, the threat landscape has gotten worse because the attackers have gotten more sophisticated. And, and even though they don't necessarily were required to be terribly sophisticated, especially if they're just going after credentials and all you use is a password, but you're exactly right. I mean, the, the, the access landscape has changed, right? So we're not talking about the LAN or the WAN anymore. We're talking about the, the, the overall network. So we're all connected to the same exact network. And that, that changed the day that we connected to the internet. So you think about that happening in the end of the 90s, beginning of the aughts, uh, we connected to the internet, and it's one of the reasons why we got caught a little bit flat-footed and had to enable PIV and CAC and these other things is because the attackers re realized right away, oh, I can get access to other people's networks. They're connected to the same network I'm connected to now. And that's only accelerated. So now if you think about, well, I'm, I'm an organization that makes a decision about whether I deploy things in the cloud or not. In most cases, I'm going to make a cloud decision because economically it makes more sense. You know, cloud providers can, can move quicker. They're more agile on developing services and, and scaling up services for me. Um, and that's just accelerated the, the, the fact that things are accessible to the bad guys now. So we're all, again, kind of living in that same network. So you're exactly right. I think one of the other things, too, is that, you know, it, it used to be we'd have to kind of handcraft things back in the day. We custom build things and we build all this kind of custom architecture. There's so much good commercial off the shelf stuff now, a strong identity. I always point to like touch ID and face ID on the Apple platform as being able to kind of leverage things, which are leveraging. If you peel under the covers of those technologies, it's PKI we know and love. It's the stuff we've been loving for 20 years. It's just now it's more elegant. It's more user friendly. It's more user experience. Um, and that is the focus to me that I think we need to continue to push down that road. We need to make it easier for the end users while still making it um, um, you know, as secure as possible and hard for the bad guys to get in. 
Uh, well, I appreciate that. I, once in a while, I have a thought that's correct. So I, I, it's always nice feeling. <laughs> but uh, now I'm going to pick on Tom just a little bit too. Tom, uh, we know that there's been attempts over the last 10, 12 years to change the common access card, to change the approach to it. Why now is more important than it was three years ago, five years ago. And, and I'll say real quick, remember when Terry Halverson said, we're going to get rid of the CAC and we're going to have you, you know, how you walk, how you type, how you, you know, uh, how your hair is styled. They're going to have all these kind of other things that will identify you. Why are we just talking about now versus why haven't we been doing more of it three, five, seven years ago? Well, I, I think there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack there. And I would say, you know, Let's, um, let's not focus on the, the elimination of the CAC. Let's look at what the intent was, right? The intent was we have all these new mobile systems that you can't jam a CAC card in. Uh, we've got all kinds of partners who we don't uh, aspire to issue a common access card. Uh, you know, we've got a whole, uh, a whole host of things that we need to enable that if you have a, a CAC only sort of an architecture, you can't get after it. So uh, the department had chipped away at that uh, for a long time. And with uh, alternate tokens, uh, we've got uh, PIVI sort of uh, variations in the, in the federal space. Uh, we have other cards. Uh, we have other uh, identity cards that are used for physical access. So we'd really been after these. But I think one of the conclusions that Mr. Halverson was driving to at the time was this stuff is really expensive. Uh, so when, when, we, when we started looking at what we needed to do to move forward, we really recognized that we needed to create a federation-ready environment. But it goes back to how do we carry that assurance level of the, of the hardware-protected private key into the, into the conversation and then enable all these other uh, use cases. So uh, DISA uh, has been working on the purebred capability. And uh, over the last uh, year or so, uh, maybe two years, we really came to a head with the department defining what that mobile PKI really needs to look like so that your mobile device can participate very, very close to a uh, CAC uh, experience with that assurance level. But we've been making other, other investments uh, and other policy enhancements uh, to really embrace federation and uh, multi-factor authentication alternatives to the CAC. And that, here, here's, where, here's where the story really, I think was, was very interesting. Um, you know, in, in the wake of the OPM breach, uh, you know, DOD, like every other federal agency was really working on what, what do we really need to get after here? We've got a lot of, uh, we've got a lot of urgency uh, and commitment around solving this, this problem of uh, passwords. Um, so we, we started the look around at what are those alternatives and then how do we put them in play and virtually every one of those alternatives requires a uh, service uh, that can authenticate, authenticate against a registered identity. So uh, we, we set up an ad hoc process by which people could bring uh, alternatives um, to, to, this, uh, to this group and sort of see is this good enough or not. But we started really cooperating in earnest with the, with the federal space and NIST and industry to kind of drive at, well, what does this really look like over time? And it took, it took a long time to do that while, you know, really 
uh, cold light of day, we've, we've got to preserve that assurance level of this new ecosystem. So if, if, um, if you haven't already, if you look at the DOD CIO's library, you can see some of these memos that have brought us to the, uh, to the current day. Uh, and then using the strategy and that reference design, you know, we're expecting further policy uh, revisions that, that really kind of formalize uh, you know, how this is gonna work. We have to take a quick break. You're listening to the discussion, Modernizing Mission Security, sponsored by Okta on Federal News Network. Knowledge is power, but finding that knowledge can be powerfully frustrating. Gov White Papers is your solution. At Gov White Papers, you can search the most current content to discover the best practices government and industry are sharing. Topics include AI, cybersecurity, citizen engagement, IT, public safety, cloud computing, big data, defense, and so much more. Your free membership provides you instant access to over 1,000 white papers, case studies, ebooks, and infographics. Visit govwhitepapers.com today. That's govwhitepaperscom Welcome back. You're listening to the discussion, Modernizing Mission Security, sponsored by Okta on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Sean Fraser, the Federal Chief Security Officer at Okta, and Tom Clancy, the former Chief of Identity Solutions in the Office of the Department of Defense's CIO for, in the Office of the Secretary of Defense. Now, Tom and, and, and Sean, before break, we're, I brought up Terry Halverson and his idea three, four, five years ago. And, and I have to say, Tom, when that when when Terry brought that up, that blew up the internet for us. That was one of those stories that everybody clicked on. So we we appreciated Terry for that. But it's not, he makes a really interesting point that Sean weigh in here a little bit. Why are we looking at different authenticators today, and and, and what kind, and just and, and what's what's taking so long? Well, let's get let's get going. So you know, well I, well, I think in some circles that was a little bit of a controversial statement. I think what it did is it started us thinking about the possible, the art of the possible, with moving forward on authenticators. And, and you know, the, the thing just takes time, right? There, there, you can't make, wave a magic wand and just have all the pieces lined up to where you can modernize everything overnight. A good example I always kind of use is Apple didn't invent the iPhone; General Magic did. But you don't ever, ever hear about General Magic because the environment was not right for the iPhone. So when Apple released the iPhone, the environment was right and it took off. I think Terry Halverson was exactly spot on. I think inter integrating or thinking about context of authentication, um, and that's exactly what we talk about with zero trust. So when you, when you think about context, it could be you know, not necessarily hairstyle or, or who you are or your gait, the way you walk. Those could be factors, but it could be other things like location, what network you're on, uh, what machine you're on. Is it personal or non-personal? You know, uh, what time of day is it? All these different kind of contextual elements can weigh into an authentication decision. And now we're, we live in a world where we can do that in a performant way. We can do that in a couple seconds. It doesn't take us a couple minutes to figure that out. So we're, we're kind of moving into the world where it is possible to do these additional authenticators. It is possible to add this additional context and really has kind of lit a fire and enabled this whole conversation around zero trust security. I think when you add to that the pandemic over the last year, when you add to that this understanding, as, as Sean, you brought up earlier, we talked about in the last segment about this idea that the threat is much different. Yes, there was always that threat, but now the way the threat's happening, the sophistication really brings us down to that zero trust path. Talk a little bit about why the, the, the ICAM approach, why is this all driving toward that zero truck ar architecture and, and how to start down that path? So I think, you know, as Tom pointed out, you know, we're really, it, it's, it's comparable security or competing security control. So the reason why the CAC was developed was because it was this multi-factor thing. So instead of using a password, you use something you have, something you know. 
we, that didn't exist in kind of the personal world or the out in the wild world of uh, working from home or teleworking that we've lived through, you know, and actually some of us have been doing well before the pandemic, but now everyone was forced to do it for, for a year. Um, so we needed these, those, those compensating controls. So that's where multi-factor authentication in. And that's why Tom and his team were so prescient and, and released their memos around YubiKeys and other authenticators and things that you could use in lieu of that. Because the other issue that we ran into during the course of the pandemic and the lockdown was, you know, smart cards expire, right? They're PKI, so the certificates on them expire. And if they expire when you're in the middle of this kind of lockdown period and you can't physically go somewhere to get a card again, what do you do? You have to have an alternative to do that. Or if you move out, so you're no longer you know, active duty, you no longer have the card and you're a retiree, but you still have access to your benefits. You need a strong uh, authenticator, but a user performant authenticator, something with great user experience. So that as you move into your retirement years, you can still get access to the things that you care about. And we're not relegating you to a password, right? So we're not downgrading you from the CAC to a password. We're, we're taking the CAC and we're moving it to something that's equally strong in your personal life. I think that's an important piece that maybe Tom could talk a little bit about, which is the user experience, right? It, one of the complaints with the common access card as we, uh, as DOD and others became more mobile is, well, I have to carry some sort of uh, device in my pocket. I remember Dave Winogren talking about that. I have a device in my pocket that I have to put the CAC into that I can access my phone. And that just didn't make sense. Tom, where does user experience fall into this discussion from a DoD perspective? Yeah, I, th I think, yeah, I think you're right on the money, right? I, it's, uh, but it depends, it depends on where you sit. Um, you know, the, the, the CAC is a part of uh, the onboarding process for the department. If you're a deploy, if you're a, uh, an employee, or a service member, you know, the, the issuance of the common access card is probably one of your earliest memories of your entire experience. And, uh, you know, that's, it's also a very expensive uh, process to proof somebody and look at all those documents, biometric capture. I mean, we have a, we have a, we have a very high standard of uh, proofing and binding uh, that goes into the common access card. And I think when we were, when we were on the journey of uh, discovering how to move and evolve the ecosystem, we found that that was going to be a very difficult part of the process uh, to replicate for all, of the, for all of the reasons you described. And one of the reasons why, you know, figuring out how to continue to issue common access cards uh, during COVID was really a mission critical uh, activity. Um, so so I, think, I think that was part of it. But I, th I think we all recognized, and, and I think you'll see uh, in what's, what's happened since, you know, once you get your common access card, there's really no reason for you to come back in order to register additional authenticators. And, uh, you know, that, that comes between you and these, these, um, these identity providers uh, that can, can uh, support a very broad ecosystem of, uh, of credentials. I, th I think that's, uh, I, I'm not sure I answered your question. Uh, no, I think so. I think, what, what did I, what did I miss? No, no, I think, I think you did. I think it comes back to understanding the, that broad ecosystem and, and ensuring that people, you know, I was focused on the, the frustration that people have or have had over the years and how this new approach is really taking into account the, the importance of, of the user's experience. Because Tom, as you well know, as Sean knows, as everyone knows, if the users don't like it, they're not going to use it and they'll figure a way around it. Yeah, and that only gets worse you know, as the culture changes, right? So when, you know, 20 years ago, people were used to having technology foist upon them and they took it and they kind of adapted it. But we're living in a world now where people have had iPhones in their personal life and they have a, a high bar of user experience that they do work a certain way with their bank and their personal life. And they kind of want that to translate into their business life. So the, the, bar, the bar of expectation for user experience keeps going up. 
I want to I want to shift just a little bit because we've been talking a lot about the the challenges and, and and I'll call it maybe the opportunities that we've seen over the last year plus. How does how can DoD and the defense agencies and the services really take full advantage of this modern ICAM? What, what do they need to in zero trust, of course? What do they need to do in the short term, the long term? So we're starting to see a lot of that now, and a lot of it is it gets back to what Tom talked about with cost. I mean, obviously, the CAC and the CAC platform is the Cadillac of identity proofing and authentication, um, but the Cadillac comes at a, as a, at a cost. And if you can modernize your systems, and, and also there are systems where uh, we have one mission partner we work with that has 40 different systems that people have to log into with 40 different passwords they have to remember. So consolidation of that, leveraging off-the-shelf uh, technology that's strong security, um, and being able to, to leverage kind of what I consider open standard based single sign on is super critical because it, it, it both reduces the cost and reduces the friction on the end user experience side, but it also enables them to go out and add these other applications, right? So they got 40 now, but they might have 80 in 10 years. And I, I just can't imagine someone having to, to take on the complexity of managing 80 different identity systems across 80, 80 different applications. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, that, that cost is also, uh, you know, a, a factor in terms of agility of, of making these changes. Uh, you know, it took it took about two years uh, for for DoD to, uh, you know, get going on a uh, CAC modernization program, uh, where we essentially moved all the relying parties in the department to the PIV authentication certificate. Uh, instead of a mix of people using email and and the uh, the DoD peculiar uh, identity certificate. Uh, but that's in the that's in the can now. They've they've done that. So now that we have a, a single standard for that authentication process, we can really move out with the rest of the of the uh, the programs and changes. Uh, and I, I'd I'd point out there's there's two parts to that, right? There's the establishment of these high assurance identity providers that can carry that employee identity uh, to uh, any relying party from a CAC or you know these this broader ecosystem of properly registered uh, high high enough assurance authenticators for the purpose, uh, but also you know defining what those those access policies are for these relying parties, and really starting to treat uh, authorization independently of authentication. I I think you know in the past it was a reasonable assumption, you know an implicit access policy was if you have a CAC then you can get access to a lot of CUI. Uh, but I think those days are behind us uh, and we need to think, think hard about what are those uh, you know, key critical assets uh, that are sensitive and who are the authorized users. And sometimes those users aren't people with CAT cards, they're uh, you know, APIs uh, or agents or any number of things, IoT, uh, we need to sort of uh, embrace a broader uh, ecosystem of users, and then put in place the data that's necessary to define, you know, policy outcomes from these enhanced, uh, you know, authorization uh, services. I think Tom brings up a great point that I think I, I want to make sure I, I double underline is, um, you know, the, the the concept that you log in using a CAC and you have free reign is kind of the, the whole reason why Zero Trust exists. And one of the core tenets and the core pillars of Zero Trust is that you don't necessarily have access to the entire thing. Now, Zero Trust talks about landing on the network. So when you land on the network, you automatically don't have access to all the stuff. But the same thing is true for ICAM. Just because you log in with a CAC doesn't mean you have access to all the stuff. So what you're really doing is you're moving the perimeter from the CAC, you're moving the perimeter from the network all the way down to the data layer. 
All right. On that note, we're going to have to take uh, say say thank you very much. We're out of time. This has been a fascinating conversation. I very much appreciate everybody's time. So let me thank my guests. Sean Frazier is the Federal Chief Security Officer at Okta. Sean, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks, Jason. Great to be Tom, here. Tom Clancy is the former Chief of Identity Solutions in the Office of the Department of Defense's CIO in the Office of the Secretary of Defense. Tom, thank you so much for taking the time to join us as well. Thank you, Jason. And thank you, Sean. It's always great. Thanks, Tom. Always good to see you, my friend, Tom Clancy. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to the discussion Modernizing Mission Security, sponsored by Okta on Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Okta. Thank you for listening to the discussion Modernizing Mission Security, sponsored by Okta on Federal News Network.